All I know is, a few weeks ago, I felt like the Lord was telling me, after so much time of never being sick, probably because monsters were making my body inhospitable to viruses, (laughs) that I would go off monsters and onto water. And as a result, I'm sick. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not calling it detox. I don't know what I'm going to call it yet, but, but uh, God is good, isn't he? Isn't God good? Would you open up in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 5? We'll begin at about verse 38, but as we take a look at, at uh, Matthew and what Matthew has for us, we want to... Remember that we find ourselves really in some pretty holy ground. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, you know, just about anybody across the face of the planet calls the Sermon on the Mount the highest level of moral living, period. The highest level of of moral living and teaching that Jesus brought. And why he brought that was to say to you and I, hey guys, you want to know what God's requirements are. Let me tell you about the manifesto for the kingdom. Here is God's requirements. First, as we took a look, he laid out for us the Beatitudes, right? The attitudes that that we want to try to exemplify in our life, the attitudes that we want to try to have. So first he said, blessed be the poor in spirit. That's the one who recognizes that we're poor on the inside, that we're wrought with sin. In fact, it leads us to the second step, which is blessed are, are those who mourn. We mourn over that sinfulness, over that wretchedness within us. And then he lays out, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those whose power in their life is under God's control. You can be meek a lot of different ways. Meekness just means power under control. That could be power under your control. But what God's calling for is power under his control. That you go where he goes. That you stay when he stays. That you move when he moves. That you love who he loves. And so we want to have those attitudes. He says this is the attitude of the kingdom. This is the attitude of those who are within God's kingdom. He lays it out for us. He continues to say blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we talk about having that attitude that says that's what I want. I want to be right with God. That that whole phrase, righteousness, it's all it means. To be on a right plane with God. To be right with God. And so Jesus lays this out for us. This is what it means to be right with God. This is what it means to be righteous. This is what it means to be part of the kingdom. And it really looks to a future time when Jesus is going to set up a kingdom. A literal earthly kingdom. But I think it's also a manifesto for his disciples that we remember that we ought to bear resemblance to our family. And this is how our father looks. This is how his son looks. This is what we want to be exemplified in our life. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they'll obtain mercy. That when God's brought forgiveness and mercy in our life, that's what we want to dispense. If we're not dispensing forgiveness and mercy, then we haven't experienced it. And we need to find that time to go before the Lord and experience it. 
It says, blessed are the pure in heart, those who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why? Blessed are the pure in God, for they will see God. We love him with all our heart. Pure, purely devoted unto him. Blessed are the peacemakers. Not the war starters, the peacemakers. The ones who are looking for a way to make peace between brethren. And then he says, blessed are the persecuted for my name's sake. Blessed are you when you stand with me and men hate you for it. This is the the character of the kingdom. And then he begins to talk about the righteousness. He begins to say, you remember, he says, you've heard it said by those of old that you shall not commit murder. When he says that, he's coming against the commentaries of that day. You guys ever known someone who, who reads more books about the Bible than about the Bible or just the Bible itself? I, I know a lot of people who can quote everything Calvin ever said or Spurgeon ever said. Anything, all these people who ever wrote anything about the Bible. But you know those books are just books, right? Everybody with me? That's just books. I don't care what they said. The Bible is the inspired living word of God. That's what matters. So Jesus comes against the commentaries of their day. You heard it said, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you, if you hated your brother in your heart without cause, you're already halfway to the deed. And you're guilty before God's eyes. You've heard it said by those of old... Do not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you've ever looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart already. Here's what Jesus is saying in that, guys. You are guilty before God. And he's laying out for us that God has a requirement. Now, whether or not we like God's requirement is irrelevant. He's God. He gets to make the requirements. And God's requirement is simple. You have to be as righteous as God is to be accepted. We've all heard people say, well, you know, I think I'm going to be okay because I'm a good person. You ever been mad at your brother? Then you're guilty before God's eyes. You ever broke a vow? Said, yeah, I promise I'll and broke it. Let's make a shorter list. Is there anybody in here who hasn't broke a promise? then you're guilty before God's eyes. Because God says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Keep your word. But the people at Jesus' time, this is what they were teaching. Well, if you make a promise and you swear by Jerusalem, you don't have to follow that unless you swear by the temple. And then they said, well, if you swear by the temple, you're okay. You can get out of that as long as you didn't swear by the gold in the temple. What does that mean? That means that they were just as stupid then as we are now. Because in that, how many people, they find this, the silliest little loophole to get out of it, right? You buy a new vehicle. And they give you a, a 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty. And it covers everything you could ever imagine. It's, it's perfect. How many of you guys read the small print? Yeah, if one time you changed your oil with two miles more than it should have had, guess what your warranty is? Void. Why? Because men are always looking for the loophole. 
They're always looking for the loophole, how to get out of it. How to, but Jesus said, just let your yes be yes. Jesus is laying out for us in chapter 5. This is what righteousness looks like to God. It doesn't matter how good we look toward one another. It matters how good we look toward God. And when God looks at us, he sees promise breakers, he sees murderers, he sees adulterers. And that makes us unrighteous no matter how we live our life. I heard a man say this this last week. If I live my life, <coughs> excuse me, every single day, doing everything I can to earn the righteousness of God, at the end of the 50 years of working, I'm further in debt than when I started. The point Jesus is making is that God requires what we cannot produce. And we have to recognize that. We have to recognize that God requires a righteousness that you and I cannot produce, no matter how good we think we are. And that's what we find in the Sermon on the Mount, the requirements of God's kingdom. Let's look at verse 38. He said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. He begins with a lex talionis. A lex talionis was God's initial decree. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. A lot of people don't understand that that was the first step to mercy. Any of you who have children understand this. Because if one of my kids socked one of the other kids, they were never satisfied with just hitting them back. No, I can't hit him back. I am going to get a bat and try to beat him to death into the corner. <laughs> and then the other one elevates it even further. And he's running to, to, to greater extremes. And this is how, don't we see that happening in the world today? Yeah, you did this to me, so I'm going to do this to you. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth meant equal retribution for what was done. The punishment fits the crime. So if you knocked out my tooth, I didn't take out your entire jaw. <laughs> tooth for a tooth. It was all equal. But Jesus said, you've heard that said, but let me tell you what God requires. Let me tell you what God says. God says, I tell you not to resist an evil person. If he slaps you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. And when we look at this, there's two things we want to realize. Jesus is not talking about pacifism. Here's what he's talking about. Insult. The greatest insult that you could be given in a Middle Eastern culture was for someone to slap you in the face. And Jesus is saying, when someone slaps you in the face, instead of reacting at the insult that they've given you and coming back at them, just turn the other cheek. You just don't reply. In fact, the proverb says, a soft answer does what? 
turns away wrath. A soft answer turns away. Jesus said, just turn to him the other cheek. Then he goes on with those same examples. He says, if someone sues you and he wants to take from you your tunic, let him have your coat also. If he wants to sue you, go to court against you. Basically what Jesus is saying, don't demand or defend your rights. Why? Because that's God's job. And we always get into trouble when we try to do that job for him. God's job is to defend us. And we sometimes feel like, where were you, Lord? I didn't feel very defended. But you don't always understand what God's doing, do you? Do we know exactly what's happening? God says, if someone's suing you to take your undergarments and give them the outer garments too. Fight's over. I'm headed down the road and I'm free of bitterness. He says, if someone comes to you and compels you to go one mile, go with them too. The Romans used to come up to the Jewish people and they'd tap them on the shoulder with their sword and they'd say, you're carrying my pack for the next mile. And the teachers, <clears throat> the commentaries of that day, the rabbi said, go ahead and go with him for up to a mile. But that's all you're required to do. Jesus said, go with him too. Go do the extra part. Go beyond. Why? Because in Proverbs 2, 5 through 8, the scripture tells us to let the mind of Christ be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus our Lord, who being in the very form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. When Jesus came, was he born in a palace? Did he have people around him to do whatever he commanded him to do? No. And so Paul says, let the same mind that Christ had be in you. And Christ's mind was, though he was reviled and hated, he answered not. But as a lamb before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus didn't respond. What is he saying? How much do you trust God? Folks, it's easy to say, I trust God. I, I, I can say those words. But what happens when someone comes at you and, and you're innocent, but they come at you, they bring you to court, they, they sue you, they're doing all this craziness. Are you able just to allow that to happen? Able just to let it go and let God deal with it? Let God work out, work the pieces and not react. Just press into him. Are you able, when there's things, circumstances in your life that you don't understand, not to take matters into your own hands to solve it, but to just lay it before the Lord and say, God, I trust you. I don't have to cling to my rights because you didn't cling to yours. So I don't want to cling to mine. Can I let him go? You guys remember this fellow in the... Bible, his name was David. Everybody remember David? David's hated by his, his family. They called him the runt. He was probably 
the child that they didn't want, you know, the one that came, surprise, you're having another. They kept him out with the sheep on the most important day of David's or of the family's life. They just left him with the sheep. But Samuel the prophet came and he, he laid hands on David. He poured oil over him. He said, David, you're going to be king. When David was a young man. Later on in David's life, we see David going out to visit the armies. He's going out to visit them and, and talk to them about what's going on. And he sees this big old giant. Everybody remember his name? Goliath, right? This big old giant out there. And he sees all the people just afraid. And he says, what are you guys afraid of him for? God's with us. Go whoop him. And they said, we don't want to hear from you. You're just a kid. So he says, I'll go. Can't put on the king's armor. Can't do all that stuff. He just goes with a sling and a few stones. And he goes and he whoops Goliath. Goliath mocks him. What are you? They're sending, they're, what am I, a dog? They're sending children to get me. I'm going to feed you to the birds. You know what David said? In a couple of minutes, I'm going to cut your head off. He's just a kid. But he trusted in God. And he slew Goliath. And what happened to David? People started singing songs about David. Saul's still the king. But what did they sing songs? They said, David has killed, or Saul has killed his thousands. But David what? Tens of thousands. Man, David is a warrior. He was a bad dude. So what happens? A little later, Saul has his spirit just vexing him. And the only thing that calms him down is when David comes and plays his his lyre, his harp for him, and sing some songs. That calms Saul down. But one day, David's playing, and, and Saul's not able to calm down, and he gets mad at David, and he reaches down, and he grabs the spear. And with all Saul's might, he threw that spear at David. And it stuck in the wall right beside his head. What did David do? Think about it. David, who killed his tens of thousands, who wiped out Goliath, who knows he's supposed to be the next king, he could pretty much have settled it right there, couldn't he? He could have pulled that spear out and said, Saul, let me show you how to do this. And been king. But he trusted in the Lord. And so he ran away. For ten years, while God prepared his heart, To make him ready to be king so that when the day arose, David could be a man after God's own heart. He trusted in him. This is what Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount. Trust. Don't take matters into your own hands. (coughs) Trust in me. Verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, I have a question for you. Where does it say that? Nowhere. What did God say? Love your neighbor. What did the commentary say? Well, therefore, since God only said love your neighbor, that means that we're supposed to hate our enemies. So that's what they were teaching people. So Jesus said, you've heard them say this. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Listen, this is why. 
that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. That you might bear a family resemblance to Jesus Christ. That you might look like him. He says, love your enemies. Bring blessing to those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. When he's laying this out, he's saying, in that concept, he's saying, I want you to truly in your heart of heart desire good for your enemy. Desire good for him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we all know that, right? The love chapter. It says, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It means that love, it doesn't celebrate when somebody else crumbles or when your enemies fall or when the wicked are destroyed. It means that love rejoices in the truth. Following the teachings of Jesus Christ. This is him. Folks, you got a red letter edition. These these three chapters are all red. Not Jackie's words. It's Jesus' words. Love your enemies. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that? What does God overwhelmingly say? Be different from the world. Be different from them. Anybody can love the people who love them. I want you to love those who hate you. And how much more, how much more these days? Do you realize there's never been a day like this? Do you realize that we've never lived in a time like we live right now? The last two years have been amazing. Global disasters in 2010. 243 global disasters. Almost double from a year before. This year we're already on our way to beat that mark. When you go on to FEMA's website... And you can track how many times FEMA had to be deployed in the past. I think the average was somewhere in the in the 20s, 20s or or 30 over the years. 82 times last year. And this year we're already on mark to overpass that. We're having tornadoes in places we never had tornadoes. This morning, 7.3 earthquake in Alaska, out in the Aleutian chain. People were upset because the alarm for the tsunami didn't happen until after the tsunami would have been there. Which, by the way, last time I was in Alaska was the same thing that happened then. So I don't think they fixed it since the 80s. (laughs) What's the point? Man, our world is different. In these days, as we come nearer and nearer and nearer to the time that Jesus spoke of, When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, I don't remember a time where I could look at six different wars on the news. When I could look at this nation against this nation and this nation against that nation and that nation against that nation and ethnos against ethnos, 
ethnic group rising up against ethnic group, earthquakes in various places, tsunamis wiping out hundreds of thousands of people while we watch from YouTube. And you look at all that stuff and you think, today is just like every other day? It's not. Peter said, in the last days, scoffers will come, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since our fathers went into the grave long ago, everything just continues as it always has. That's not true. For the first time in history, Russia, Iran, and Turkey are united. Those, by the way, are the three nations spoken of in Ezekiel for the Gog-Magog invasion. First time ever. We live in special times. And in the special times that we live in, we need to recognize that we are not able to produce what Jesus is asking for. We can't do it. We cannot do what he wants. He goes on to say in verse 47, he says, if you greet your brethren and them only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, verse 48, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. So how are we measuring up so far? God requires a righteousness that's beyond our ability to produce. So what's the answer? We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he who became sin becomes our righteousness. Way back in Genesis, what does it say about Abraham? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word confess means to agree with. It means you agree with what and who Jesus says he is. You agree that your sin is sin. Because listen, if you were a whore, or if you were a tax collector, or if you were a horrible sinner, you were always welcome standing before Jesus Christ because you knew who you were. But if you were standing before him with a mask, trying to pretend how good you are, that wasn't a safe place to be because Jesus would let them people have it nonstop. He cannot stand the hypocrite, the one who paints this picture on how good I am, how righteous I am. No, I am a wretched sinner Only saved by my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's how I become right with him. And that's what Jesus is laying out for us here. So how do I meet the qualifications of my Lord who says I must be perfect? The Bible says that when I am found to be in Christ Jesus, when the Lord looks at me, he sees Jesus Christ. Listen, I'll explain it to you like this. In the Old Testament... The children of Israel had this box. It was called the Ark of the Covenant. Everybody remember that? And in the Ark of the Covenant, you remember what they put in there? The Ten Commandments. Now, how long did it take them to break the Ten Commandments? Did Moses even get down the hill? No, Moses didn't even make it down the hill before they broke the Ten Commandments. 
And then they put in a, a, a tub of manna. And then they put in Aaron's rod that budded. So in this box called the Ark of the Covenant, they placed all of the nation of Israel's failures. Their failure to keep the law. The manna which was bred from heaven from God that they called, what's it? What's it? Un- ungrateful for God's provision. Aaron's rod that budded that spoke of their rebellion against God's leadership. So sitting in this box, as God looks down from heaven, he sees all their failures in the box. But there's another piece to the Ark of the Covenant, right? The piece that goes on top. What's that piece? The mercy seat. Hilasterion in the Greek. The mercy seat. By the way, that same word is used of Jesus Christ. What happens with the mercy seat? Over the top of the failures goes this pure gold that was beaten upon which is, is <coughs> brushed, brushed the blood of the lamb. So when God looks down, what does he see? He sees the blood covering all the failures of the nation. When you're in Christ Jesus, you're like all those failures inside that box covered by his mercy. When you're in Christ Jesus. When you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's it. That's what's required. Well, Jesus goes on and says in chapter 6, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. He's going to attack hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Do not do your charitable deeds to be seen by men. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, not if, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. They had this court in the temple called the Court of Silence. It was a neat idea. In the court of silence, people would bring their alms for the poor. And when the poor needed something, they would go to the court of silence and see a priest, and the priest would get them what they needed. Sounded like a great idea. Somewhere along the way, somebody got the idea that nobody really knows what I've been giving here. So the wealthy began to have heralds go before them and sound the trumpet. Here comes, you know, Sir Mr. Rich a lot. And he's come in and he's going to just give lots of money. And he'd have all that money in coin and he'd pour it in. And it just sounded like all oh, tons of money going in. The Lord says, If you give, don't do it like that. He says, If you give, just do it before your Father in heaven. Don't let what you do be for the approval of men. Because if it's for the approval of men, it's hypocrisy. You're play acting. You do it for God. And we know how we know, right, whether or not we're doing it for men or for God. It's what happens when you've been serving faithfully and Jackie never said a kind word to you the whole time. That guy is so unappreciative. I've been doing slaving, working, doing all this stuff. Not one time has he sent me a card and said, how wonderful I am. 
Well, I'm sorry. Uh, I will try to do better. But are you doing it to please me? Are you doing it to please God? Are you doing it to serve Him? If you are, then praise the Lord. You're storing up for yourself treasures in heaven, right? That's where you want it to be. You don't want that big plaque or that big noise made up about what you've done because the Lord says that's your reward. Enjoy it. In eternity, you may have nothing. But here on the earth, you got a, a bronze plaque with your name on it. The Lord says, listen, do it just unto your Father so that only He can see. He says, when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your charitable deed may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will Himself reward you openly. Hey, do it to honor the Lord. When you sing, when you praise the Lord, do it to honor Him. Don't do it to be seen by men. Once, I wanted to be seen by men. It was a Christmas time. And I had an electric guitar solo. And I had this solo down. And the whole Christmas program started with my solo. Oh, man. People needed to see this. So they began to come, and the place filled up, and then there was no room for people to sit. So they stood across the back, and I thought, oh, wait till they see. What a treat they're about to get. Yeah, that's not exactly how that worked out. I think I, I, think I got the first note right. Something happened. I hit something wrong, and panic filled my mind. And suddenly I could not remember what the song was we were playing. <laughs> so I just played some random little riff. It didn't fit at all. But in my mind I'm thinking, Jackie, just land on the last note right. And they'll be able to start. And then you won't just be standing here before the people on fire. So I hit the last note. Flat. Twice. The entire worship team turned around just to watch. Because they had never really seen somebody just flame out like that on stage before. There were two services that day. After the first service was over, I could be found in the back in a fetal position, rocking. Uh-huh. And hearing the Lord say, Jackie, you have your reward. That the kind of reward you want? Man, let your charitable deeds be done to the Lord. That it's for Him. Because when it's for Him, none of that stuff matters. It's all just good. But that's how we want to do it. We want to lay those things out before Him. He goes on after talking about giving to talk about praying. <coughs> he says, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Jesus doesn't like hypocrites. You don't like it. Don't pretend. Don't pretend. By the way, he doesn't like punks either. That doesn't mean just be irreverent with God. That never worked out well, by the way. But he doesn't want you to, to be fake. He wants you to be real. Come before him in honesty. 
Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. And here's the key, that they might be seen by who? Men. Oh, they want to be seen by men. So they offer these incredible, wonderful prayers. And I know sometimes this works in the opposite direction. People who won't pray because they think, I'm not very eloquent. Think about what Jesus said about two men that went to pray. One of them was a hypocrite, a Pharisee. And he went to pray and it started something like this. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not a woman. Yeah. And then, and then he looked over here and he sees this tax collector. And he says, not only am I not a woman, I'm not a vile sinner like that guy. I'm not a Gentile. Thank you that I am a Pharisee. Holy of the holies. That I'm a righteous man. And that I follow you with all my heart. And then the Bible says... The guy who was sitting down there was a tax collector. He beat his breast and cried out and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went away justified. Because that's the only way to come before God. Don't come before God full of pride. Don't come before God trying to pretend you're something else. You come before God realizing, I don't measure up. I'm not perfect. And so I need His forgiveness. I need His righteousness. It's not about me. It's all about Him. Not to be seen by men, but to honor my Father. Being real with God. Lord, here I am, a sinner. I need Your forgiveness yet again. God never tires of giving that forgiveness. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father who's in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Just go off by yourself and pray. It doesn't have to be showy. It doesn't have to be a big deal. But here's how important prayer is. Our nation is currently facing judgment of God. If you don't believe that, just go to the FEMA website and watch. Look at the numbers. They don't lie. Last I checked, North Dakota was a desert. They said that there's so much water there, the levees are holding five times what they were built to hold. Five times. You know, when they build those, they build them according to a hundred year flood, right? The most water in the last hundred years that was ever possible. Five times what they were built to hold is in North Dakota, overflowing the banks, flooding where traditionally you have drought. Tornadoes where you never had tornadoes before. Things are happening in this world to shake it up. You turn your back on the Lord and God's blessing comes off and the rain falls where? On the evil and the good. But the Lord calls out, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. If my people will come before me and repent of their sin. If my people will be faithful to go into the quiet place and come before God. 
Folks, we have a ministry here called Warriors on the Wall where you can sign up for an hour of the day. 168 blocks in a week. I think right now we have like 80 holes. So we're roughly half full. That means occasionally when there's something going on in somebody's life, there's not a warrior on the wall. There's a gap. You understand what I mean? There's not prayer. And if there's not prayer in that place, well, there's not prayer there. But if my people will humble themselves and pray, go to the secret place, call upon the Lord. Don't get yourself all under a burden. Just be faithful. And watch what God does. If you think the nation is going to change any other way, you're crazy. Nothing is going to change unless you and I hit our knees and begin to pray. Not out for a show, just in that secret place in our, in our homes as we honor the Lord in prayer. He says, when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. You guys have heard that before, right? That's exactly what we do every time we pray for a meal. We all have our family prayer, don't we? You know, God is great, God is good. Thank you for the food. You know, watch out teeth, watch out gums. Look out stomach, here it comes. I don't know. (laughs) People have all these traditional prayers. You know, the problem with traditional prayers is you can say them and you're not even thinking about them, right? You're not even thinking. And I think God wants us to come before him in prayer where we are taking the time to consider the one to whom we have entered in, the one to whom we are addressing. Just to be, it doesn't have to be big, it doesn't have to be long, it doesn't have to be crazy. Hey, in, in Ecclesiastes... Solomon said, God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. You don't got to say a lot. But you just got to come before him with the right attitude, the right heart. Listen, verse 8 is where we're going to stop today. Therefore, do not be like them. Be different. Let the mind of Christ be in you. Understand the righteousness that God is calling for. <clears throat> for he says, your father knows the things you have need of before you even ask. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is in heaven wait, desiring to meet your needs? James says you have not because you ask not. Or you have not because you ask amiss. Wanting to spend it upon your own desires. But we just come before the Lord in humility, in honesty, as sinners, in the hands of a God who has every right to judge us. And realize that it's by the righteousness of His Son that we're set free. So, don't be like them. Don't be like everybody else. Don't just accept it because everybody else does. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you will not be disappointed. You will be finding yourself in a place that he meets your every need. That's what his name means. I am the becoming one. I become whatever you need.
Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord God, just asking and praying, Lord, that you would show yourself among us in a mighty way, Lord. God, may we come away from this place recognizing that the righteous requirement of the kingdom, we fall short. I can't pay it on my own. That's why Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except by me. But we have to come before you in honesty. We have to confess, agree who you are. God of very God. Who died on that cross for me. Who screamed out, <coughs> I love you across the generations. Who offers that free gift that all we have to do is receive. But as we receive, we come before you and repent. We say, Lord, I am a wretch. You make me clean. God, it's our prayer that if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you. They wouldn't leave this place that way. We pray, God, even as the prayer counselors are spread around the room, if there's anybody here upon whom <coughs> the Spirit is moving <clears throat> and calling them, Lord, I pray that they would come to a prayer counselor and say, I, I need to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I need to repent. And we have great news for you. You could be baptized this afternoon. Lord, we pray, God, that you would move in this place as we close in worship. We ask that you would be glorified and magnified here. As we lay these things down before you, in Jesus' name, amen. As we close in worship, I invite the prayer counselors to move around the room. We got a little bit of time, so we don't have to be rushed. The children and workers are going to be so happy with me. But I want to encourage you as we just go before the Lord and sing this last song. If God moves in your heart, find one of them prayer counselors. They're by the signs on the wall. And just go before Him. And, uh, and they'd be happy to pray with you. God bless you guys. Go in peace.